because I learned so much in Mexico. Um, but I think the most important thing, I'll just do what Heather did, and just say, like, the biggest thing, and then just work down. Um, the biggest thing I think that I learned was just the importance of sharing the gospel because we are here, and we're in the Bible Belt, and everybody is like, oh, yes, I go to this church, and I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Presbyterian, or, and it, it doesn't matter. Like, this is what's in the Bible, and this is what we need to tell people. We don't need to just invite people to church. That's great. It really is. But we need to, like, just take every opportunity. Um, They would go door-to-door, and I'm not saying that we have to go door-to-door, but there's just, they were so unashamed, and they were so, it was because they had fellowship with each other. That's my second thing that I learned. Um, They just had fellowship with each other, and they were all with each other 24 hours of every day, almost, and they just encouraged each other so much. Um, And so that kind of, they go hand in hand, just because if you're going to be unashamed, you need to surround yourself with people that believe what you believe. Um, And it was just, it was beautiful to see, you know, if somebody was struggling with something, you could always just literally look at the person in the seat next to you, and they knew, you know, what you were going through, and they would encourage you, and it was just beautiful. Um, And the other thing is just that actions truly speak louder than words. Um, Heather couldn't really communicate. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, but even, like, there were even Mexicans that could not communicate with people in this Aztec tribe called the Nahuatl. Um, and they just, they couldn't communicate very well sometimes. Um, and I remember we stopped at this house and, um, there was no English involved. Heather was, I think she had a good translator. Um, but it was me and two of the people that didn't speak Nahuatl, and we were in a Nahuatl village, and we only had two people with us, and so we got the group that didn't have a translator. Um, and these kids did not have shoes. Um, the the little girls were all sitting around um, just kind of talking because, you know, when you're in a village, you don't really have anywhere to be unless you have something to do that day. And the mom was just kind of sitting there talking, and they wanted to hear And we had this thing that we told them, you know, they could put on their wall. And they understood that much. And it was a verse from Corinthians. But we were sitting there trying to explain it. And we were, like, using actions. And they understood us. Um, And they were like, yes, please come back. And it was was amazing. Um, So actions speak louder than words um, in the miming sense. But actions also speak louder than words in just the sense of, you know, the things that you do in front of other people. Um, There was one village that I remember... I'm sorry, I'll hurry. Um, There was one village that I remember, and um, they had been going there for 15, 20 years, and they had literally threatened Abel's life, and they had said, if you come back here, we will kill you. And there was this one little girl, and she was eight at the time. I got to meet her. She was awesome. Um, She said, I really believe in this, and if you come back, like if nobody else wants to hear it, just come back for me, because this is what I want to hear, and I know that it's true. Um... And so she's, she's 15 now, and we were going to visit because, you know, she didn't want to go and fellowship with other believers because she didn't like the believers in her town. And, you know, I said what I just said about fellowship. They encourage you, and you need them. Um, but just her action, his action, he kept going back. He kept going back, and people would say, no, this is not what I believe, but he kept going back because he literally believes it. And so when people discourage you, you know, keep keep walking in the way that you need to walk because your actions will eventually speak louder. They all accept him now. Um, they all welcome him into their homes now. Um, and it was just beautiful. But those are three things that I learned in Mexico. Um, yeah, so I was only in Mexico for two weeks. Um, but I was just going to share some stories about how I saw God moving while I was there. Um, yeah, so just some really cool stories. So the first week we were there, we were on a youth evangelism trip, or the first week I was there. Um, and so I've told this story to the brothers and sisters in Mexico, too, because it was just really cool. Um, 
The first, one of the first days, we went to a village called Tlachichuca, and Heather and I, with Brother Abel, were in a group, um, and that was just kind of our first time just being like, oh, well, for me anyway, while I was there, like, okay, just go door-to-door, whoever you find on the street, just start talking to them. Um, so we encounter this lady who's waiting for a bus. Um, she has a child in her arms, and I don't remember if it was me that shared my testimony in Spanish or if I was translating your testimony. Okay, I was sharing. So I shared my testimony in Spanish, and I like get to the end of it, and she's like, um, do you guys speak English? And I was like, uh, yeah. Like, Heather doesn't speak Spanish. She only speaks English. So, um, so as it turns out, this lady had actually grown up in the States, and she had just moved back to Mexico because her mom had died in December. And so she came back to be with her dad and to be with her husband, um, who were Mexicans, too. And so, but when we started hearing a little bit about her story, she, her, her mom had died, and before her mom died, her mom had been taking her to church, and she had been going to church here in the States. I don't remember exactly where she was, where she had grown up. But, um, so she had been going to church here, and so when we were, like, sharing the gospel and talking about God and Jesus, she was like, I actually, like, really, really liked that. Like, I, I liked going to church with my mom and, like, hearing about God and stuff like that, and, and we were like, well, do you have the word of God with you? Like, do you have the Bible with you? And she's like, no, I, I don't have a Bible. And, um, and, okay, so do you guys know the Gideons people, the Gideon people that all are getting, giving Bibles out on campus? So I just happened to have, like, a little mini Gideons Bible in my backpack with me. And, I mean, and it was in English, you know? Like, who would have thought I would have needed that in Mexico? And why did I even bring that to Mexico? Like, I probably because I just forgot it was in there. But then I was like, wait, I actually have a little Gideon's Bible that I never read because I have my own Bible. And so here you go. So we, ju- I just kind of, like, she was able to have the Word of God with her. We were able to speak in English so that, like, you know, Heather was there, you know, we didn't even have to translate. And then we were like, well, and there's also a community of believers here in Tlachichuca that meet on a regular basis. And she, you know, she was missing that from the States and she didn't know how to get connected or where to find a church. And so we had Brother Abel with us who actually goes there on a regular basis and meets with believers there. So like he was able to write the address in the little Gideon's Bible for her exactly where she, she could come and meet with other believers. And so it was just kind of like, a reminder that God is always in control, even when we're like, why are we doing it? Like, what? Like, this seems, like, so random, and, like, so, it was just so obvious that that woman was, like, put on our path, like, Abel with the address, the Bible, with the English speaking, like, all of it just kind of came together, and that was really cool. Um, a little later that week, we, or, like, near the end of the week, we we were doing a lot of, like, programs. We had, like, a drama and music and clown show that we had kind of put together as a group and we were going to different areas and doing the the program I guess and preaching the gospel at the same time um so we went to the city center and this is by far the busiest place we had been there were lots of people around and we were going around handing out tracts before and trying to share the gospel before the program and during the program and after the program um and usually when when we go out in groups we're, we're in groups and so and usually we're talking in Spanish, right? And so, like, you know, I, I share, but oftentimes we, like, tag team it. You know, it's like, okay, I've shared a little bit, and someone else will share. And so whenever I go with my group, I, I always feel like I'm, like, incompetent. I'm like, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I, I'm always like, just so you guys know, like, if I get stuck, can you just, like, tag team it? Like, can you, like, keep it going? And, you know, just if that happens or whatever. So, we're, But we're always in a group. And so you can always say that and you can always like help each other out and lean on each other when you're like, uh, I don't know what to say next, you know? Um, and so I had told one of my friends, Liebni, who was with me, like we were in a group together and we were doing that about that. And we were walking by these people and she's like, I think we need to go share with them. And I was like, well, they're sitting down. So like we can just share with them after the program, after they've seen the dramas and like, it'll be made more clear to them. And as soon as I said that, I was like, no, I have to go share with that. Like, why did I say that? That was such a dumb thing to say. So I walked over there and we, we walked over there and we started sharing. But the next thing I know, Liebni is like, all these kids are around her because she had previously given them, given them a little pamphlet. And so she 
you know, the kids were like, what, what's going on? What is this pamphlet? They were asking her about the, this pamphlet. It's like a track, a way to like share the gospel. So the next thing I know, she's like gone with the kids and here I am with these adults and I'm like freaking out inside. I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm going to get stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, and I don't even know what came out of my mouth. I don't, I don't know what happened. All I know is that by the end of that conversation, like they had come to know the Lord. And I was like, God, that was totally you because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And he just really worked um, really powerfully in that. So that was cool. And later that night, so that tons of people, we were, I mean, there was a big group of us. There was the people from Rio Blanco, the people from One Hope, the people from the church in Chicabasco where we were. Um, So there was a lot of people in this park sharing the gospel and it was getting really light. It was dark. The program was over, and we were still just all around the park sharing with people. Um, people were getting hungry because it was late. Um, and the next thing, someone came up to me and was like, oh, yeah, we're going to that cafe over there. I said, what do you mean we're going to that cafe? There's like 70 of us here. Like, why Why are we going to go into that little cafe? And as it turns out, there was this lady who had just become a Christian like a couple weeks ago, and she realized what our group was doing and sharing the gospel. And she was just like, oh, I'm going to invite all of these people to come to dinner at my cafe. I own this cafe. I'm going to invite all these people. And someone, you know, she told this person, like, oh, I want you guys to come. I want you guys to come to my cafe. And they were like, no, no, no I, don't, I don't think you understand. Like, there's 70 of us. Like, you don't need to feed us. Like, thank you so much for your willingness to, like, serve us. But no, it's okay. And she was like, no, no, no. I want all 70 of you guys to come. So we, like crowded this cafe and she gave us all something to eat and it was just such a blessing and it was just so cool and that she had just become a christian and that she encountered us it was just also another really cool god thing so yeah that's i still have more stories i mean this is like only what i kind of saw and heard about you know and there was so much going on another day the camp the next week we spent a day going up into the mountains and sharing the gospel and I was on a bus going up to an area called Songolica, and you have to go through these mountain roads. Um, and so on our way up there, the bus kept breaking down. So we were like, okay, like maybe we, we hadn't even gotten to the mountains yet. And so we were like, why? Like, I don't know. We have this giant bus. Like, I don't know if we should go all the way up there, like all the way up to Songolica. And it kept breaking down. Like it wasn't just one time. It like kept breaking down, kept breaking down. Um, so we stopped at this one place and, our leaders were just kind of like, okay, let's just get off the bus while they like try to figure out what's going on. And you can split up into your groups, your evangelism groups, and talk about like what methods you would use to share the gospel or what scriptures you can use or what analogies you can use. And so everyone kind of got off and was like standing around the bus. And our group was just kind of like, well, we don't really want to talk about methods. We're just going to go share the gospel. So we like started walking down this road and it didn't even look like there were houses. I don't know why we started walking down this road. Um, and we, like, keep, we're walking, and then we realize there's, like, this, like, little mini rainforest room. I don't even know how to describe it. That we kind of were like, oh, there's a fence and a door. Maybe there's someone in there. So we kind of, like, peeked in and walked in, and there, as it turns, there were, like, five men there, and so we started talking to them. They were, they had been drinking, and so we didn't know how many of them were in their right mind or not in their right mind. Um, and there was one guy who was, like, really interested in what we were saying. And there was another guy who was like, thank you so much for coming. We, we really appreciate it, but thank you guys can get on. Like, you guys can keep going. Like, but thank you so much. Like, so appreciative, but, like, it's time for you to go. And so we were like, okay. But this other guy was really interested and, like, kept wanting, like, was asking questions. And this other guy was, like, overpowering him being like, no, 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 like, don't listen to him. He's just, he's, he's drunk. Like, don't listen to him. Like, just, you're good. Thank you so much for coming. And, um, and so it was just kind of like, we were like, what do we do? Do we stay? And there was a, like, it was a group of like five of us and like three of us girls, a couple guys. And so I think the guys were kind of like, maybe we should get the girls out of here. Like there's five drunk men, you know, like maybe not the safest thing. And, um, and so, but then someone had a guitar. And so, so the the guy who was actually pressuring us to leave he was like but before you leave will you just play a song and so we were like okay so they played a song and it was a song about salvation and so that kind of like sp- like spurred the interest of of even the guy who wanted us to leave and so we started talking more and like the next thing we know we're all kind of like dividing and conquering essentially like all of us had a different guy that we were talking to or in, well, the girls, we were, like, a couple of us were with one guy that I was talking with, and um, 
like we were there we ended up being there for the whole time like they had to call us back from the bus but um what came out of that is that the lord saved like two or three people i don't even remember who was had accepted and who hadn't and who had come to trust in the lord and who hadn't um and the person that we were talking to he never made a profession of faith but he was i mean the lord was obviously speaking to him like so many people were brought to tears like one, one, I heard later, I didn't see it happen, but so, one of the guys was, like, bawling, shaking in someone's arms, like, as he was praying. And so it was just, like, you know, just such a like, God thing. Again, like, our bus broke down, so we were like, oh, we're not even going to make it to Songolika. And then we, like, just happened to come across this mini rainforest. And then these, I, I, it was just so cool. Like, just God lined everything up so perfectly. And I guess just kind of what I learned through all of that was that, um, that like even if I don't have the words to speak or don't know what I'm doing, like if we're just willing to go, like the Lord will just use us, and which is great because then you can say it wasn't me, it was just God. So that's cool. Um, and then Chad also asked me to share a little bit about my um, trip to India. So I went to India, got back about a week ago, and um, I went with an organization called International Justice Mission. And if you don't know what they do, they um, seek to protect uh the poor from violence um and it is it was just it was such a blessing to be able to go on this trip um so we took a trip to a field office in chennai india and i was going with a team of chapter leaders around the country um and i so i left so i left mexico and i came back here for a week and i was with Ethan, who is my boyfriend in Mexico, and we both left the same day. So the day he went back to Mexico, I was going to India. And so here I am, like, thrown into India after, like, three weeks of being with Ethan and then, like, being in Mexico and meeting my, like, him meeting my family and all this stuff. So I was, like, in a really weird place, that, like, that first, there's first, first few days in India. I was, like, emotionally tired. I was physically tired. I was... Yeah, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, what what is this? Um, and I think the enemy really used that to kind of, like, give you, like, a spirit of, like, laziness and, like, what am I doing here? And, and like, also three years ago, I kind of felt a calling to go to India, and I didn't know if that meant, like, short-term or long-term, and, and it was just kind of weird that all of a sudden this team, like, without me knowing was going to India, like, I didn't even know when I was applying to be on this team that we would be going to India. But here I am going to India, and I'm like, hey, God, you, like, obviously have me coming to India, I don't know why, what are you doing? Um, and my team, they're a group of leaders, so they're all, like, leaders are often very, like, charismatic, like, out- outgoing, extroverts, and that's just not me at all. Like, I'm complete opposite. And so it was really, like, humbling in a sense because I, the Lord, well, the enemy was using it to, like, really put those spirits of, like, what am I doing here? Laziness. But at the same time, the Lord really used it to like bring my brokenness out because I was like, I felt like I was jealous of the other leaders because they were super outgoing and having a great time. And here I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't want to be here, like lays tired and all this stuff. And so I think it was, it was just like a combination of like the enemy and then the Lord using that to really um, bring me up out of it. There was one morning, Tuesday morning, the morning before we went to, to the IJM office for the first time, I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning and like couldn't go back to bed and was just feeling like in the midst of kind of like this battle, like the spiritual battle, like what's going on. Um, And so when I was awake at like three o'clock in the morning, I knew it was daytime back in the States. And so I just asked some friends to pray for me and was like ready to, I was trying to pray, but felt like I couldn't pray. And it was just kind of, and I was like wide awake and I was like, what am I doing here? Like what? And um, the Lord just really answered those prayers. Like the next the rest of the week was just incredible. Um, like I just got to see like a group of people that really care about seeking justice and about each other. And I mean, they just work so tirelessly um, to seek justice. And it was just really, really challenged me to think about how I'm seeking justice in my everyday um, and to just pray for the people that the people that are oppressed around the world. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was so cool. I mean, we got to meet some IJM clients and see how the Lord had just brought them out of a rock quarry um, after working there for 10 years. And I mean, I, it's hard to even like try to describe what, what was happening there, but um, yeah. So it was just really cool to see like God work through all of that and 
be like have his hand over both of those trips for me and like growing me but also letting me like see a bigger picture of the world so that's it that was really long i'm sorry all right um Actually, it's kind of funny. When I was in, at the camp in Mexico, they had the little like ear thing that hooks on your ear, a little microphone here. It's like, man, they're more high-tech than we are. Um, so it's kind of, kind of cool. But um, really, just uh, I wanted to share just a little bit from the two weeks that I was uh, there in, in Mexico, just one or two just things. Um, and then you know, talk about a little bit more the, the why we do that, but also... Uh, you know, that's what we're, we're doing in other places, but, you know, what are we doing here in, in Athens, and what's our purpose here as a, as a church? Um, and just a little bit of a time for us to focus on those things um, as, you know, we are going into the fall. You know, college students have just come back um, into town. As many of you know, we just um, have said goodbye to a lot of college students here, um, you know, recently, and uh, but with that is a great opportunity, and that's a great opportunity to love on new people uh, that are moving into our, into our city. And um, it's, it's cool being in a university town is that we always have that opportunity to love on new people. Um, and that's just a tremendous blessing uh, to be a part of. And, you know, there's a certain sadness that comes to that as we all have to say goodbye a lot. Um, but, you know, we're saying more like see you later as opposed to goodbye. Um, with many people, so we're, we're just thankful for that. Um, but I wanted to share just um, one more story from Mexico um, about a guy named Jose. He, I met him, I want to say three years ago, um, at the camp that we have there. And just to, just to back up just a little bit for those of you who are, you know, maybe your, your first Sunday and you're like, okay, what, wait, what all is all this? So we have a, a church that we're partnered with um, in Mexico. Um, it's in the state of Veracruz on the east, east coast, uh, but it's in the mountain range uh, there. And it's, just a, it's a beautiful place. It's one of the most beautiful places on earth, really. Um, and so that's just a little side advantage to be, being there. But uh, the people that we work with in the cities are, you know, what we think of as Hispanic. Um, and then the people in the mountains are indigenous and so we're working with a couple of different cultures there. The church in the valley has you know, probably started over 50 churches um, and has a full-time mission team where they have several um, couples that have been on the team for you know, a good number of years, some of them many years. And then they always have um, a group of younger people who are usually you know, end of high school, college age that commit you know, one or two years to be on the team, and some of them end up staying longer. Some have been on for three or four years. Um, but basically what that means is, you know, six days a week they're going to the mountains uh, and sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet, and they're trying to disciple people who uh, do believe in Jesus and to help them grow um, in their faith. And so, you know, for example, like one group every Monday, they'll go to a, you know, I'm just using this for example, so we don't hold me on specifics, but, you know, like every Monday they would go to, like, Zangalika. Uh, so they'll be there every Monday and every Thursday, something to that effect. Um, others would say, you know, they're going to go to Texacoaco every Wednesday. And so each day of the week, different villages are being visited, but by the same people on the same teams, and so they're really developing relationships with the people over time. So that's where a person like Abel says, you know, for eight years, going back to that same, you know, village week after week after week after week after week. And at the beginning, there may be people who want him dead. And by the end of it, a lot of times those same people are inviting him into their homes and, you know, sharing their tortillas with him. Um, so it's a, you know, beautiful thing to see. So at the camp that we have every summer there, where we bring in young people from the cities and from you know, the mountains, put those cultures together um, and just have a great time. So we had over 200 uh, young people this last, uh, for this last camp. And uh, Jose was there again, but now he's part of the mission team. But to give you his story, you know, you have to back up even generations where his grandmother was a prostitute. 
and his father was an alcoholic. And there's this, you know, tremendous generational sin problems in his family. Um, and therefore, in his youth, you know, things were done to him that should not have been done to him. And he did things to other people that he should not have done. And those are damaging, you know, things. And so um, three years ago, we had a, a pretty big talk and, you know, just kind of gave him some some things of, okay, here's what the scripture says and here's what you need to do. And, you know, he went and did those things, it's pretty, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then over time, he's just, he's grown and developed. He became part of the, of the mission team. And this last, you know, here, this a few weeks ago, we're at the camp and they have different guys in the mornings giving, kind of giving a little devotional for the whole camp. Well, they're giving those in Spanish and in Nauvoo, and they're having the guys who are bilingual do those. And so he has the last one on Friday, uh, Friday morning, and I was just blown away because here's this guy, he's talking about the difference between the wicked and the righteous, and he starts in Romans 1, and he uses that well, and he goes over to Malachi and uses that well, and he's in 1 Corinthians and uses that well, and he's in Psalms and he uses that well, and it's just like, Dude knows his word. He knows his word. Um, he's using it in context, and he's just straight killing it in Spanish and in Nahuatl for like 40 minutes and bringing the heat. And it's like, dude, that's awesome. Um, but not just that. You just see the difference I see in him and his smile and his joy and the peace that he has. It's just incredible. Um, so I found this out just the other day. Um, he had a, he had been applied, he applied to a dental school. It was very competitive. He didn't think he would get in. So he went over to Brothers Jaime's house to talk about his future. And while he's there, he's like, "Can I just check on your computer and see if the school, you know, sent anything?" And there was his acceptance notification. So now he's going to go into dental school. And it's just, I mean, you think about a guy who, I mean, he when he grew up as a kid. I mean, literally a dirt floor, literally, like, scrounging for food. Um, you know, I had shown a picture a couple of weeks ago. We had a, I mean, sorry, two years ago, we had a deal off um, the justice of God, and we were talking about that in a lot of different ways, but we were talking about that social justice stuff and the stuff that IJM, you know, works on. And I showed these, this picture of these boys from Nepal on top of this mountain, and they've got these huge pieces of rock, you know, a slate, you know, that's a, attached to their backs, that the piece of rock is like, it weighs as much as the kid does, at least, right? And they're having to walk down the mountain to the trucks. And so I just had a bunch of the guys in this room after showing some of those pictures and said, you know, what did you think when you saw that? And this one kid from the cities, you know, he's all tore up, he's crying, he's like, you know, how does this happen you know, we've got to do something about this. And then, you know, Jose stands up after, you know, right after that and says, you know, it reminds him of the things he used to have to carry as a kid in order to be able to get food. Like, that's the sort of work he had to do. And those two kids maybe live like 10 miles apart as the crow flies, but their worlds, you know, so completely different. One from like a, you know, what we would consider like a middle, kind of middle class you know, home and the other just from abject, you know, poverty. So just to see what God has done in his life through him believing in Jesus, but then dealing with his issues. And so his issues would not be a barrier to his life and to where he's now headed in the future. You know, it's, it's incredible. And it's, you know, it's like, it's like, why do you go to Mexico? It's like, Jose is why I go to Mexico, and many other people like him. I mean, like, that's why, that's why we're invested there. Like, why, as a church, do we send money down every month for them to do that work? Like, that's why we do that. You know, that, like, why do we spend time praying for them? Well, that's why. You know, 
does that make sense? You know, we connect on that, that there's a, there, there are real people whose lives are being changed, and then that's going to have, you know, you think about it for generations, the cycle of sin that caused problem after problem after problem, and then, you know, with someone like him coming to Christ, and now what the potential future is for good for the next generations to follow, you go, you know, man, like, we can we can make sacrifices for that. Like, we can give up some of the stuff that we could just have on our own in our own lives to be a part of that. Like, that's worth paying a price for, right? And so, you know, that's... Because, you know, there's some stuff that's, that's not easy. We also, in the whole thing, we need to remember, like, there's a spiritual battle and in any place, whether that's us here in Athens or them in Mexico or in India or wherever you are and the Lord is working and you're really like giving what you have to make a difference in people's lives, like, there's going to be opposition to that. There's going to be a spiritual warfare that's involved with that. And a lot of times we don't think about that nearly enough and aren't aware of that nearly enough, but it, there is a real spiritual battle at place and so if we're not you know praying and consistently spending time with Jesus and spending time in the word then you know we'll just get discouraged and say it's not worth it (laughs) so we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and we have to keep our eyes on the bigger picture and we have to remember the victories in people's lives like Jose so that we say hey it's worth to keep fighting for and it's worth to continue on for and so we don't give up when things get difficult. Like we refuse to be a people who just give up. Or when, we're, when we are prone, and I know that we all are, to have our times of like laziness or complacency or whatever it is, we have to go to Jesus, remember his, him, you know, to look in his face and remember who he is and what he's done for us, and then to come back and say, okay, and for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of these people, you know, here's what's, here's what we need to do. You know, here's what's required. Um, but hopefully, there's a joy in that, and there's a joy in the sacrifice, and there should be. And if there's not, then that's obviously a problem. You know, that would need to be, needs to be addressed. Um, so for the camp, I had the privilege to share um, Matthew five through seven, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which better title is probably, and the young people there help me with a better title. For it, which is a manual for disciples. Um, and just looking at it, I just wanted to read Matthew 5, uh, 3 through 10. And uh, I'll give you a second to turn there if you want to turn there. Matthew 5, 3 through 10, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and when we went through this in our house fellowships not all that long ago, um, we talked about how really these aren't different categories of people that Jesus is talking about, but he's really, as he's talking to his disciples, he's talking about the character of his disciples. What sort of character should his disciples have? Whether they should be poor in spirit, they, they should mourn you know, about, you know, about their own sin, about all the sin in the world. You know, we should mourn when you see a, you know, people in bonded slavery working in a brick factory in India, and it's 120 degrees, and there's small children in there, like, we should cry about that. Like, there's no doubt. Like, we should mourn about those things. Um, blessed are the meek, you know, restrained strength. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that are merciful, that are pure in heart, that are peace- peacemakers, that are persecuted for righteous sake, are persecuted for Jesus' sake. Like, that, you know, really des- describes the character of a disciple of Jesus. And then, if you look at Galatians 5.22, you have the fruit of the Spirit, 
And if you put those two things in a table kind of side by side, you'll see like this is an amazing parallel because the character of a disciple produces the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 22 and 23 of Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you have the character of a disciple, you're going to produce the fruit of, this, of the Spirit. Bottom line. You know, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Um, if you go and then back to Matthew 5, that the, you know, there's the results of it. You know, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You'll be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. You'll be filled. You'll obtain mercy. You will see God. You'll be called sons of God. And then again, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, it kind of begins and ends with that same promise. And so that we're reminded that, um, you know, our hope is still mostly a future hope, you know, the, the, the home to come, you know, that we are, as the scripture tells us, just strangers here on this earth within temporary dwellings, you know, these tents, our bodies that we have, and that, you know, there is a, a longing for something more, for something, for what is eternal, for what is permanent, um, and that's something that, no matter how fulfilling, nothing on this earth can fully fulfill. You know, I think that's sometimes why we're so focused on home here, and there's a certain part of that that's right and good, but there's a certain part of that that's also just telling us, hey, this isn't home. This isn't permanent. This isn't the forever. Being with Jesus is forever and ever. And that's, that's good. But um, toward the end of the camp, you know, we talked about, as you get into Matthew 7, Verses 21 through 23, he says, Jesus says, you know, and, and this is one of these things. I mean, this is like the longest continuous message we have of Jesus recorded in the scripture. Like maybe we should pay attention for it, but, you know, to it. If you have, you know, the Bible where you have the words of Jesus in red, you've got like pages where it's just read here. It's just Jesus talking. We should pay attention And he says, not everyone who says to me, in chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that's really just powerful really powerful because there are many who claim to know Jesus but you know that question we hit on this a couple weeks ago but that that question big question is really does Jesus know you it's a bigger question than do you know Jesus you know does Jesus know you um, you know we use that illustration I used well, I use it in Mexico with, you know, Messi, and we might use it with LeBron James or some famous politician or whatever. We say, yeah, yeah, I know LeBron James. You know, we're, we're tight. You know, me and LeBron. I, I see everything he does. You know, we're tight. You ask LeBron James, who's, who's Chet Boyd? And they're like, no idea. No clue. You know, so many people are saying, you know, yeah, I know God. God and I are tight, but what's the reality? You know, does Jesus know you? And I think that's a question that we need to ask people. Does Jesus know you? Get somebody to think, because that, that's a question given in a different way, right? You know, you, people get asked sometimes, do you know God or you know Jesus or something like that, but you guys, a person, see a reaction to somebody, say, hey, does Jesus know you? Not just know, know that you exist. Like, does he really know you? Um, and so we, verse 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, when the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was found on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So at the end of the camp, we said, you know, who came in building your life on sand and who's now leaving building your life on the rock? And we had, you know, six young people say, yes, I'm building on the rock. And then we asked, you know, who would give at least one year of their life to full-time mission before going on to other things, eight responded and said, yeah, I'll do that. We'll see how many of them actually do. But at eight, say yes. But we've seen them before say yes, and now they're on the team. Like they're following through, um, which is impressive and something to be you know, really, really thankful for. So really what this is all about um, whether we're talking, you know, Mexico or whether we're talking here in Athens, you know, it's about making disciples. It's about making disciples. You know, really, that's, that's our, our mission, is to make mature disciples who are fully obedient to Jesus. You know, look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission that Jesus gives. What does he say? You know, go into all the world and, you know, make Disciples of all the people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to, to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Right, that's the great commission that Jesus gives us. So how is it any different for us today? Well, it's not. You know, people say, well, what's your mission? I mean, it's pretty simple. That's a pretty simple question for us to ask, because Jesus is the one who gave it to us, and we don't really have a right to go and change that in any way. It's his mission. We're his church, and it's his mission. So that makes life simple, like, because you know exactly, we know exactly what we are supposed to do. You know, not difficult. Not difficult. You know, and then we talk about, you know, things that we value as a, as a church, like, what do we value? What do we care about as, like, One Hope Church? Like, what do we value? What's the number one thing that we value as a church? All right. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, thankfully people have actually said Jesus and not other things. You know, like, that means we are communicating and, and we're on the same page and we're winning as far as that goes. Like, Jesus is what we're about. We're about, we're about Jesus and we're about obedience to Jesus. And that's another value is obedience to Jesus. And in a world where we, you know, especially in our culture, we're so individualistic and we don't want to be under the authority. And yet we're constantly trying to press ourselves and others to obedience to Jesus. And that is one of the big differences. I'll just go ahead and tell you now between Mexico and here is that respect of authority, that issue, you know, even from young people. You know, I have to be very careful when I'm in Mexico because if I say, here's what the scripture says and here's what you should do, they will take that seriously and they will do it. And every year after counseling an individual, that, you know, someone will come up to me the year after and say, okay, so remember I came to you with such and such a problem and here's what you said to do and here's what I did and here is what happened. Boom, 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 boom. Whereas here, somebody comes with a problem. This is the steps. Person comes with problem. Person hears solution to problem. Person says, I'll think about that. Person forgets you ever had that conversation. Person wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I should do X to handle problem. Then says, hey, I had a great idea. I came up with a brilliant solution for my problem, and I'm a genius. Thank you very much. Moving on. Hence the difference between young people 
in the United States and in Mexico. Not all. There are exceptions on both sides of that, certainly. But I'm just telling you, I'm just calling it how I see it. All right. But we value Jesus. We value obedience. We value worship. We want our worship to be in, in what? In spirit and in truth. You know, it involves the fullness of who we are. Like, every bit of who we are should be in you know, worship and adoration of Jesus. It should involve your intellect and your emotions and your physical body and your spirit. Like, it should engage every bit of who you are. Because Jesus is worthy. You might say, Jesus, you can have my mind, but you can't have my emotions. Or, Jesus, you can have my emotions, but you, I'm not going to engage you on my mind. I mean, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. So that he would have it all. Another thing that we value and that we obviously value in our church is, is a biblical model that we're striving to do for our church and ourselves as individuals, what the scripture says from how we're organized to what happens in our, when we meet together. You know, the reason we take the bread and cup every Sunday is not just because we think that's a good idea, but because we see it in the New Testament. So that's why we do it. You know, we've, we've experienced the benefits of doing that, but we do it because we see it in the Scripture. Why are we an elder-run church? Isn't it easier if just one person makes all the decisions? Or if we just, you know, any issue that comes up, we just take a, you know, we just take a poll and we do whatever 51% or more says. You know, why do we do it this other way? Well, we're always trying to do things based on what we see in the scripture. If we can't back it up in the scripture, then we really have to question, like, why are we doing that? Or why are we doing it that way? And so always encourage you to examine everything by the scripture and you know we see you know uh, around the you know the the message the commission that Jesus gave the mission that Jesus gave to go into all the world you know in his desire was all the people groups well why because God's promise you know that's been his plan from the beginning but his promise to Abraham was that in Abraham's Abraham's seed all the families of the earth will be blessed and we see in the book of Revelation in the future that that promise is fulfilled as there are people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation around the throne of God worshiping God. So we value you know, that diversity in the body of Christ. Um, we want to be a diverse you know, family in many different ways. You know, I hope that we... You know, because, you know, what happens is, you know, it's, it's interesting. Do we, think, do we think that Jesus really wanted it to where his, his, you know, the churches, local churches, would just be like little ethnic tribes, but then not even just divided that way, but then an economic basis for that as well? So, you know, this is your church where upper upper-class white people go to church, and this is your church for middle-class Hispanics. I mean, it seems contrary to what we see ultimately is our future when we're around the throne of God, and there's people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so I hope that as we move forward in the future that we are more diverse, that we never become less diverse we're trying to become, you know, more diverse, and may the Lord continue to answer that that prayer. Um, that's something that's important to us because what do we see in the Scripture, and what you know, it, especially in our culture of so much division, what do we need to be showing in the body of Christ? We need to show something different than that. Amen. Something different than that. So then practically, how do we get there to, you know, trying to fulfill the mission of Jesus? Like practically, what are, we, what are we doing? Really, it all comes down to one word. Anybody want to take a stab at what that word is? 
You said giving? Giving everything, that, that works really well, and that's close to the word that I have here. You could probably use it as a synonym. Participation. Participation. So, yeah, participation. So, participation in prayer, in worship, in the word, in fellowship, in discipleship, in mission, like participation in all these things. And that list isn't exhaustive, but it's the idea there that we want to really drive home is that we are people who participate. You know, and you know, we don't expect everyone who you know, walks in on their first Sunday to immediately begin participating in everything. You know, that's an unreasonable expectation. But when you know, we're a church family and this is, is your church home, then yes, participation is you know, what, what is desired. And we find... We all gain so much more when we're all fully participating and we're not just kind of, you know, part way there or, you know, my kind of little bit of leftover time, you know, you can have that, you know, sort of thing. But when we're invested, participation, um, good things happen, you know, with that. And so, you know, we really, uh, one of the key things that we see, you know, that we need, need to work on and to develop and to give more opportunities for really is, you know, training in terms of how to disciple people and opportunities for mentorship, you know, one-on-one, those sort of things. So, you know, that is a request that I have from you even this, this week is if you desire to be mentored by somebody who's a little bit further down the road than, than you are, then say, hey, I, I need to be mentored. And if you want to be able to mentor others, or you either have the capacity or you don't have all the capacity, but that's something that you want to do, then say, hey, I want to be a part of that. Um, and for some of you, it's going to be you know, both. Some, some of you, like, you need to be mentored by someone who's a little bit further down the road, but there's other people who aren't for, as far along as you are, and you need to start mentoring them to help them get to where you are now. You know, and so for a lot of people, there's, you know, got to have both sides of that, you know, going on. Um, but that's a, you know, something that is definitely needed, because as the elders have met, you know, this summer, and we've talked about these things, and we've said, okay, how do we put some legs to this, and how do we put some tangible goals that we think are are honoring to the Lord, um, and that He's pleased with. And let me give a caveat on the front end that we are, we've never been obsessed by numbers and we're not going to be obsessed by numbers. But, you know, there is that question in terms of measuring, like, how do you know that you're accomplishing anything and how do you know that you're winning? And that's important for us to know those things, right? I mean, in anything, like when you take tests in school, like, there's going to be a pretty clear, are you getting this information and like able to do something with it or not. If you run a business, the economics are going to show: Are you running your business well, or are you not running your business well? You know, like there, there's going to be things, and there can sometimes there's in all of those things there's external factors that you have to take into account. There's lots of different variables, and so that's what we always say: We're not just going to be like, well, these are the numbers, and that's what we're all about. But for a picture for the future. What if by the end of 2020, okay, so everybody got that in their minds? Like by the end, end of 2020, we had 201 new disciples of Jesus. 201? Well, why, why not 200? Well, the one there is to remind us that every person is, I mean, that number, like there's a real person in each number. Because, again, it's about people like, that's sort of like Jose. And, you know, it's about, like, you know, when I think about Mexico, like, that's my one, like a, a number there. You know, if I think about a one there, you know, his name comes to mind pretty quick. And that helps me visualize what that is. So I'm thinking 201 Jose's. I, mean, I, I, I can get, that can, that can motivate me. I don't know about you, but that can motivate me. Because I think about, 201 people with their lives being changed and like dramatic difference for generations to come like 
that's compelling. Um, 51 mentoring disciples, like 51 people who have been trained and who are capable to mentor others. Because you're gonna have 201, but how many people can each person kind of really take an active part in life with? You know, if you have a full-time job, I mean, having four people, that's a big challenge. That's a, that's a real big challenge. If you got, you know, if you've got a job and home and other stuff, I mean, that's a lot. Um, but again, it's over time too, right? So it might be one person for this one year, it might be two people another year, it might be back to one person, you know, that sort of thing. But over that amount of time, you know, we develop at least 51 people who can mentor others to be more like Christ. And then that we would intentionally send out at least seven. That we would intentionally send out at least seven for at least a year and, to, and preferably to places that are underreached or not yet reached for Jesus. We're going to be always sending people out as a church, is kind of one of the conversations that we have, that we had, it's kind of like, listen, there are always going to be people who are leaving us, going to other places and doing other things, but kind of nice when we can send out people intentionally, as opposed to just people going to do, you know, lots of different things, and sometimes many times good things, but if we can send people out intentionally to, hey, you know, this is where the Lord is directing and, and leading. Um, and so there'll be opportunities, you know, with that um, in the future. But, you know, to send out seven. I, you know, how awesome would it be if we look back at the end of 2020 and went, man, we had our sights set pretty low, especially on the intentionally sent out. We had our sights set pretty low. Only seven? Is that really what we were thinking? You know, even though they, you know, some of these numbers might sound you know, big now. But again, you know, I, I hope that what that does, again, is not get us obsessed about numbers, but rather gets us fired up about you know, mission and vision, you know, and that we're proactively taking part and saying, okay, how can I, what am I doing in this process to help make to become a more mature disciple myself, what, what I need to do, and how am I making more mature disciples? How am I part of helping to do that? Is the Lord calling myself or my family to be sent out, or are we going to be part of the process of sending others out? Like, you know, those sort of, hopefully it gets those sort of things cooking in, in your prayers and in your thought process. That, that's the intention of it. You know, it's not so that every week we have a board up here and go, hey, can we add one this week to the new disciple? Or can we add one to the, you know, can disciple others now? Like, that sort of thing. It's not so that we can be, you know, obsessive about that sort of stuff in any way. But it is designed to say, hey, are we making progress? Because if we're, if we're not... I'd say two things, and these need to both be true. Jesus has to be first in everything. But if Jesus is, is first in everything, then the natural result of that is making disciples. Right? So th- both of those things we need to evaluate. Like, is Jesus first in everything? And there's, I mean, even in a sense, there's a lot of like, you know, there's, those numbers are, you know, quantitative. You can, you know, you're, you can identify those things. But, then, but really, the qualitative is even more so important. Like, when we come together to worship, is it obvious that we're worshiping Jesus and that he has the first place, that he's first in everything? Like, is, you know, when, when we have our, our teaching and our, our discussions over the scripture, is it, you know, does it have depth to it? Is it, is it meaty? You know, when I'm, do I have a, a desire to tell other people about Jesus? Is there an urgency to sharing my faith? Like, you know, I can't, it's not one of those things where I can necessarily measure your urgency. 
but you know whether you have it or not. You know, that's a qualitative deal that can be identified and say, do you have an urgency right now to tell others about Jesus? Well, if the answer to that is no, then, you know, we've got a heart issue problem that we need to work with and work on and ask Jesus to change us there, to fix us, to do surgery. Um, and we all need that from time to time, certainly. So that's what that's designed for. Because, you know, you have, a lot of times people get mission and vision confused. You know, because mission, again, we don't have any option about that. Jesus gave it to us. It's really, really clear. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Like, that's the mission. You know, the vision is for our particular church in our context. How does that, you know, play out? And so, you know, what's the, the vision, you know, of our church? Like, what, what is that? And that really is, we can just sum it in a, in a phrase. Okay, and it's striving to say yes to Jesus at any cost. And I'm not going to lie to you. That scares me. <laughs> that scares me. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. If that statement doesn't scare you a little bit, well, you may need to look and see what Jesus has asked some different people to do. As you read the New Testament, because he's asked some, he's he asks a lot. He asks a lot. You know, there are times when people, you know, came to, you know, and he knew their hearts, and we have to keep that in mind. The guy comes to him and says, you know, I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus is like, no. He's not having that. He's not having anything be more important. So, you know, so I want to balance that, a, a proper fear, knowing that you're dealing with the king of the universe. And at the same time, comfort, knowing that that same king of the universe died for you, rose from the dead, gives you the Holy Spirit, comforts you, loves you, cares for you more than anyone else ever possibly could. But, you know, it's, it, it's reminded that C.S. Lewis, you know, in, um, and I don't want to mess it, mess it all up with the book and quote and everything, but basically talking about Aslan the lion, you know, is he safe? Like, safe. You know, of course he's not safe. You know, Jesus isn't safe. He's our salvation, but he is not safe. And that's just, you know, we need to deal with reality. We don't get to make Jesus fit in this little box and we can put him neatly on a shelf and say, this is who you are. And we've got you all, you know. Like basically, like, like Jesus works for us. That's how many times we want to treat Jesus. Like Jesus works for us. He's there to answer our prayers and to give us what we want. And when we're in a bind, he's going to come in and save the day. And when we really want something really bad, he's like the magic genie that we go to. And if we say the right prayer, then he'll give us what we want. But that's not Jesus. Jesus is, when, <laughs> Jesus is the one who calls the shots. He's the one who's in charge, and he's the one who has authority. He's the one who's in power. And, and he's the one who has to be on the throne in our individual hearts and then and that's collectively. He's it. We're not. None of us are. And that's just the way it has to be. Because that's the only way we actually live out as a church, being a church that Jesus wants us to be. That's, like, that's the only way. I don't, you know, we can have a social club, or we can have something that's called church. But in order to be a church as we see it in the New Testament... And to be on mission with Jesus, Jesus has to be, he has to be Savior and Lord and King.
he has to be it. So as we contemplate that, and if, as we ask that question, like, we put the word striving in there because we know we're not all there yet and we're not all going to be there on the same day. <laughs> to say yes to Jesus at any cost, but like, are we willing to move, like to take steps in that direction? To make more steps in that direction to where we are really like authentically saying yes to Jesus? Because, you know, we felt if we just let that word out and just put saying yes to Jesus, like this is what we are doing, it certainly wouldn't be honest all the time. And, and we need to be honest. We need to be an authentic people. And this is what we are going for. But we can't pretend like we're always there. It's just not true. Individually or collectively. But let's move that direction. Let's strive for that. How do we do that? Surrender. It's not through our own willpower. It's surrendering to the power of Jesus in our lives. But it's not just through a like, hey man, I'm really going to get up and give it all to Jesus today and I'm going to make it happen. That's just not going to work. It's got to be surrendered to Jesus and in his power and his strength and his love. That's really the only way. But maybe you're here this morning and you realize maybe Jesus, you know a lot about Jesus or you know some things about Jesus, but that Jesus doesn't know you. I mean, you've got to make that first step first. And that's where you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross, that you rose from the dead. I believe in you. I trust you. Like, you have to have that first step. In order to grow as a disciple, you have to become a disciple. That's the big key first step. And so if you're not there yet, we pray that you will, even this morning, just trust in Jesus to save you and then start walking with him. But wherever you are on the journey, as you take that bread and the cup, before you take it, just contemplate this morning. Like, Jesus, where am I with you? What am I not saying yes to you about? What I've been saying no to you about, Jesus, like, show me that and please change my heart and my mind. So, let's, um, we'll have our musicians come back up and we'll take a little, just a little bit of time this morning, take the bread and the cup. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We're not worthy of the beginning of your grace, of one ounce of it, Lord. But Father, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus for us to the cross on our behalf. And Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we give you thanks. We love you and we praise you. We ask that you would Help us this morning to say yes to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you call us to be on mission with you. We can't do any of this without you, Jesus. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. work in us and through us. For your glory and honor. In your precious name.